0: Welcome to Sound Thoughts on Art, a podcast from the National Gallery of Art. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Art can engage all of our senses. We hear music, we see a photo, we walk around a sculpture, we taste fine food. Standing close to a favorite painting, we can even smell the wood or oil paint. But it's when our senses work together that things get really interesting. When we listen, what do we see in our mind's eye? When we stand in front of a painting, what do we hear? This podcast lives in that convergence. In every episode, you'll learn about a work in the National Gallery's collection from someone who knows the art and its context. You'll also hear a musician respond to that work through sound, creating a dialogue between the visual art and music. Sound Thoughts on Art tells the stories of how we experience art and how it connects us. Time flies, we're told, when you're enjoying yourself. But the other side of that cliché is that time slows to a crawl when you're not having fun. When you're going through something painful, time can feel infinite, as though the earth has stopped turning. But in that still and exquisite moment, we can also find grace. We see that kind of beauty in Untitled, Falling Buffaloes, a 1988 photograph by David Wojnarowicz. In it, a group of buffalo are frozen in time, as they stumble off a rocky cliffside. The landscape behind them is picturesque and calm, and so, in a way, are the doomed buffalo. As this episode's curator, Sarah Greeno, will tell you, the buffalo and their environment aren't actually real, but they were photographed in a tumultuous time, when many Americans were frozen in their own painful situations. Musician Emily Wells says this photograph evokes the sound of silence for her, the heart-stopping apex of a freefall. It's a sensation that she says is all too familiar. So we begin by asking both Sarah and Emily the same question. In the vacuum of this photograph, do the buffalo symbolize humans or are we the unseen force that's driving them over the edge? Here's Emily's take.
1: I think we're the buffalo. I feel like human beings are innately good. And we can be so ignorant and distracted, so driven. So, yeah, I see us as the buffalo.
0: Sarah Greeno, same question. Are we the buffalo or the reason they're falling?
2: We're probably both. Um, You know, we're, we're the people driving the buffalo over as long as we perpetuate misinformation and, and stereotypes, you know, as long as we demonize any one group or race of people or, or even, you know, support governments or institutions that do, I, I think though that many people can also feel that they are the buffalo. They are the people who are being victimized by those who don't have insight, who don't have caring or concern about them because somehow they are perceived as, as different. And I think that's where the strength of this photograph really lies because I think most people can easily see both sides um, of the emotions that it's expressing. One senses that Wojnarowicz sort of drew a line between the brutality that led to the near extinction um, of the buffalo and this horrific disregard for the suffering um, of uh, gay men during the AIDS uh, epidemic and the government's um, inaction and and refusal to address uh, the the epidemic head-on. He came to Washington, D.C. in 1988, apparently. Um, He went to the Natural History Museum here and he saw a diorama, you know, one of those sort of 3D installations of the American West that um, had a painted uh, background, as, as dioramas do, that depicted buffaloes being driven off a cliff to their death. And instead of taking a picture of the whole diorama, he he took a photograph of just that one portion of it, because he clearly saw a parallel between, you know, the sense of doom that that he was feeling with his own AIDS di- diagnosis, but also more generally with the way AIDS was ravishing the the, the gay community. He saw a parallel between that um, and the wholesale sale extermination of the buffalo um, that was condoned by the U.S. government um, in the 19th century. Native Americans had, of course, relied on buffalo for food and clothing and shelter, and they worshipped buffalo. It was a sacred animal to many Native Americans, but when the white trappers um, went to the West, starting in the 1830s, they began killing off the, the buffaloes um, with rifles, you know, for their hides or just for sport. They even began killing them from, from railroads. And it was estimated that between 1830 and 1885, 40 million buffalo uh, were killed. So, so that, that image of buffalo being driven off the cliff, um, you know, really can be seen as just this senseless destruction of life. Why this
0: particular piece?
1: This piece is, um, obviously, it's pretty iconic. Like, if if you only know one David which piece, you might just know this one. And so it's it's, I think it's pretty easy to connect to. And when I look at it, I see us. I see all of us in this moment frozen before, you know, our downfall. My work deals a lot with climate crisis, so I feel a bit frozen in this moment. Yeah, I was was drawn to that.
2: He made this photograph... In 1988, so that was really the the height of the um, of the AIDS epidemic, and I think that it's something that many people today will have a renewed appreciation of 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 that epidemic and how you know how scary it it was. Um, AIDS was something that apparently there were a few cases that were diagnosed in the 1970s. But it really wasn't until the early 1980s that it that it came on other people's radar. I think the CDC diagnosed it in um, in 1981. But because it was initially seen mainly um, in drug users and gay men, it was thought to be um, hoped to be a disease that would not you know affect the wider population. And indeed, there was a there was a lot of fear about AIDS, about how you how you contract it. Could you contract AIDS just by touching somebody? Um, and so the fear of AIDS throughout the nineteen eighties was intense. And and the government did very little, at least initially, in order um, to try and diagnose it um, and then to um, to get out solid information into the public. So it was an incredible incredibly contentious period. It was a period when many gay people like Wojnarowicz were were terrified of of getting AIDS. Um, He had just been diagnosed with AIDS just shortly before he made this photograph. So there's all of that background behind this picture.
0: What kind of music do you hear, even if it's not your own, but if you, the first time you encountered this, maybe, can you imagine what kind of music played in your head? The first thing I see when I see this is
1: silence. So maybe it's John Cage. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I think it's, I can't help but evoke that feeling of falling. Uh, There's a kind of excitement and
0: sorrow to it, and in your piece, I mean, the sound of falling is wind, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what yeah, it, that's what it sounds like. And you kind of included a bit of that sound in your piece.
1: Yeah. So, so initially, this is a song that I wrote about David Wanerovich, and I was in, I was on tour at the time, and I was in uh, Brussels, staying in. Um, a friend's home, which is a sort of sprawling, multi-level townhouse that um, all the windows face a gigantic Gothic church. And on the first floor is this creaky old piano, um, who belonged, uh, which belonged to the mother of, of my host. And I had just finished reading this chapter uh, from Olivia Lang's book, the Lonely City, which is, this chapter is called uh, The Beginning of the End of the World, I think, something like that. And uh, she talks about David Wannarovich in detail. She was a bit obsessed with his tape journals. She would go to the archives and listen to him. So you, you felt, again, like this intimacy. You felt her having this relationship that I'm kind of, you know, we were discussing that I, I sort of have this friendship because of his generosity and um, how intimate he he is in his writings in these tape journals anyway so i went downstairs to this old creaky piano and and wrote what became david's got a problem so when this um adventure of uh, of what we're doing now came across my screen i thought well maybe i could take a piece of that song because david Wanarovich is already so present in that song and um you know, turn it to the, to the buffaloes and create that feeling um, but have this starting place that already was like so present for me so yeah I, I really meditated on that feeling and there's a lot of breath inside that song because the buffaloes aren't, they're not dead yet you know, it's, it's still very much alive in that moment.
0: So it's it's odd for me because when I f- looked at this piece and thought about the music that would accompany it, mm-hmm. the thing that kind of got me stuck was the pace and the rhythm because there's so much urgency and panic, obviously, in mm-hmm. this Buffalo's movements. And yet, as you say, it's this still-captured moment. How do you handle that musically?
1: I don't... I mean, I think it could be handled... However one pleases, you know, if, if someone wanted to rush in and create something that was, you know, wild and chaotic, I think that would be absolutely suitable for this, if that's what that photograph evoked for them. For me, you know, it's just silence and stillness. So that's where I went with it.
0: Had you already given thought to the connection between visual art and music before?
1: Oh yeah, it's such a big part of my my practice in my creative practice, my process, all of that. So yes, it's it's very much there.
0: Why is it such
1: a big part of your of your music? Uh, it's food. It's um, it's a way in. It's um, it's. Yeah, it's a place that I'm able to begin so often, um, especially the work I've been making lately, almost in a conscious way, like a, um, forming friendships with artists, some dead, some alive. Um, but it's a imaginary friendship, <laughs> you know, that I
0: create through their work. So you feel, that sounds to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you feel as though you have a relationship uh with the artist when you are looking at a piece of visual art, is that correct? Yes, I I can I can get there, yeah, for sure.
1: And somebody like David Wonorovich who we're here to discuss, you know, his his work is so broad and he was also a writer. And so he's he's giving us so much more in, you know, such a, a, a deeper way in. I think I'm kind of drawn to artists who use text and some, you know, not always, but but oftentimes, um, yeah. It's just a different a different road into their
0: into their work and their minds. So, um, tell me about your friend then, the 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 David Volkoinrovich <laughs> that you have a relationship. What is he like?
1: Oh, he's so gentle and um, he's so willing to be intimate with you and bear his fears and his rage and his like wildest escapades and he's calm present you know kind of there's like an omniscience to him i guess at this point in my imagination (laughs)
0: Sarah, let's talk about David Vojnarowicz so we can place Falling Buffaloes in context. Who was he as an
2: artist? He was an immensely talented artist, um, really in many ways, the ultimate outsider artist who also had a very short career that lasted really not much longer than a decade. But during that time, he was immensely innovative and tackled a large number of subjects that few other people before then um, had addressed, such as homophobia, gay life, the AIDS crisis, censorship uh, in the arts, death, uh, and grief. He was a painter, he was a sculptor, he was an installation artist, he was a photographer, um, he also played in a band, so he was, you know, he was was multi, multi multi-talented and, you know, one can almost think of him as like this star shooting very brightly across the sky that just burned out much too quickly.
0: possible to sort of put David's work into context without talking about his activism, I think. And I, I wonder how his activism influences this feeling you have that you have a, a relationship yes, with him, or at least with his art. Oh, this is so
1: what I'm thinking about right now. Um, his activism is, for me, central to um, the questions I think we're facing now around again coming back to climate crisis the project I'm working on right now wants to ask that question what are what are the connections? how can we look at these AIDS activists Warovich being so central to that um, who were working at the beginning of of the epidemic here in the US and what can we learn from them like where what are the crossovers where did they succeed and I I come back with Warovich always to his humor um, his rage I think those two things are so central to what makes him you know the the AIDS activist icon that he has now become um, and I think that's why I keep turning to him um, because if you read what he says about AIDS it is so relevant, um, to what we've been going through looking at climate crisis, um, what we're still going through. Um, but particularly, you know, during the Trump years, um, it seems things might be shifting now, but, um, let's, let's hope so. But, um, yeah. And he, you know, he just, he also spoke about the experience of being queer with such, um, just, lack complete lack of shame even though he grew up with having shame put on him for his queerness um, as you know many people his age did. But I had this this thought about about how he went to the natural world as a mirror to hold up to himself like okay, I am of this world and he saw such inherent goodness in the natural world. And so I think he turned to that a lot to make himself understand his goodness. Um, and I, I try to do the same, take his role, his role model and just keep looking at the natural world as a mirror for my own goodness. What do you mean when you say you keep looking at his goodness? What does that mean? It just means that his queerness, you know, didn't condemn him, um, didn't make him sick in both the literal and figurative sense of things, um, that it wasn't, that him him and his friends contracting AIDS wasn't a you know, punishment from God, that he was of God, so to speak, if you see God as being the natural
0: world. Here is David's Got a Problem, Falling Buffalo, one more time, uninterrupted. See Thanks once again to Emily Wells for joining us. Right now, you're hearing Entrustment from Vijay Iyer's new album, Uneasy. Vijay will join us on our next episode to discuss his work and how he draws inspiration from I.M. Pei's East Building at the National Gallery. Sound Thoughts on Art is a production of the National Gallery of Art's Music Department. The show was created by Danielle Deswort hahn the National Gallery's Head of Music Programs, and mixed and produced by Maura Curry. You can find more information about everything in today's episode at the National Gallery's website, nga.gov podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Thoughts on Art, we would love for you to subscribe. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening. I'm Celeste Headley. Until next time, be well.